So, we're studying the book of Job, okay? It's kind of a heavy book if you've never read the book of Job, right? Um, all of that is from the book of Job, in case you were wondering. That's not just like our ideas, that's literally Job's language. And what we've been taking a look at, really, that we started last week, is really how do we speak to God, how do we relate to God in difficulty, in challenge, in obstacles? Because this is just true, like, welcome to Lent in real life, okay? You will face challenges in your life, correct? Right, you will, you will. What did Suzanne read? Right? In this world, you will face challenges. You will face hard times. But God is with us in that. The question is, isn't whether or not we're going to face hard times. The question is, how do we speak and relate to God in the midst of those seasons? What do we do? And that's really what I want to explore here today. I want to continue doing that. Last week, if you joined with us, I kind of gave you the context and some of the themes of the book of Job. Today, we're going to try to do something difficult. You ready for this? I'm trying, going to try to cover chapters 3 through 38 in one sermon. How does that sound? I know, all of you are like, there's no way Andrew can do this. Um, just so you know, the first service did get let out on time, okay? So we're going to try to do this here today. Because really what I want to do today is not give you the context. I want to try to give you the content of Job, like an overview of the content of what Job is all about. And so to begin with, though, I want to remind you of why speaking is so important and that why we need to pay attention for how we speak. And then I'm going to share with you the seven different kind of like options for relating to God in the midst of suffering that the book of Job explores. So first I want to just remind you of why it's important to think about language and speaking. That what we don't often think about enough is this, that language frames and shapes our experiences. Okay? Language frames and shapes our experiences, meaning that how you think, how you talk, how you speak, actually forms how you see the world. It actually forms how you experience the world. Or to put it differently, language is not neutral, language is formational. This is why it's really important to pay attention to how do we speak. I'll give you some examples so that we don't get into like speech act theory, which is kind of what we're doing there, but to make it like practical for us, okay? So here's some examples of how language shapes things. That if in your head, in your own inner like monologue or soundtracks, you consistently say things like, I'm not worth very much, if people knew the real me, they'd reject me, or like, you know, I'm not lovable or whatever. If you consistently speak those things, follow with me, that will affect how you see the world, correct? It'll actually really start to affect how you see not only the world, but how you see yourself, right? Language is formational and framing. Or to give you another example, if in your marriage, all you seek is like fault finding and to keep score, that will start to affect your marriage, right? Or give you another example with God. If the ways that you speak and think about God are all based on like distance and far out and judgment and that, that will start to shape your view of God. That language is not neutral, it is formational. And what the book of Job wants to explore is how then should we speak to God in the midst of difficulty? How should we relate to him? Because it will form our relationship with him. And as I shared last week, it's been my experience that what I have noticed and seen in people's lives, it's that their faith will either be found or lost in seasons of challenge and difficulty. And I think it really hinges on how we speak and relate and experience God. So the book of Job is all about how do we speak and relate to God. It is not about why do bad things happen to good people. That is actually not the theme of the book of Job. It's actually all about language and speech and experience. And so today what I want to do, as I said, I want to try to give you a kind of an overview of the different options that the book of Job gives for when it comes to speaking and relating and actually encountering God in difficulty. And there are essentially seven options 
There might be more, but I think these seven suffice for us today, okay? That here's some of the options the book of Job goes over. That in suffering or difficulty, we can bless God, we can curse God, we can be passive, we can be silent, we can complain to God or even curse everything but God, we can defend God, or that we can accuse God. Now, obviously, the book of Job does not agree with each of those, but each of them are explored and wrestled with. And that's what we want to do today. I want to explore each of these and actually wrestle with them a little bit. Because whether or not you realize this, Lent is a season all about wrestling and studying and discipleship and trying to work things through. So today, I want to simply present to you, really, seven different options for speaking to God in the midst of difficulty. I want to invite you to really ask the question, what's the right ways to speak to God in difficulty? Because that's what the book of Job is about. Remember, as we talked about last week, Job is the most righteous, holy, or as the KGV puts it, perfect man on the face of the earth, right? And the whole kind of story, or the play, it's really a play, right? That's what the book of Job is. It really all revolves around how does this righteous man speak to God? And so let's start to explore each of these. We're going to start with the first four. Like, obviously, we're going to go one through seven, right? That's, you know, it's pretty obvious. But the first four are fairly straightforward, actually. I think they're fairly obvious. Um, but the last three, that's where it gets a little bit more tricky or a little bit more complex. So let's start off with the first option. That obviously the book of Job presents an option that in suffering, in difficulty, one of the options is to bless God or to praise God. We actually covered this last week. That after uh, Job experiences all the difficulties he does, he says this in Job 1. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. There we see that, that in suffering, we can make the choice, as Job does. What does he say? He says the word praise, right? Like bless. Like you can make that choice in suffering, in difficulty, in challenge. That is one of the options. What I think is interesting is that Job begins there. Follow with me. He does not stay there, okay? That in some ways, the language of praise or just worshiping isn't quite sufficient for all of the complexities of life. Because Job's going to start there, but as we see, he's going to shift and move from there to other ways of speaking and relating to God. The next option um, is the option of cursing God. Now, obviously, I don't think that this is a great option, and neither does the book of Job, okay, in case you're wondering. Yeah, yeah, shocking. I don't think that's a great option. Uh, but it is one that the book of Job raises, because actually the entirety of the book is really, will Job curse God? That was really the accuser's wager, right? That if you do these things, he will curse God. So let's explore this option a bit. We read this in chapter 2, verse 1. One day, the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves uh, before the Lord. And the accuser, remember, that's how we should just uh, understand it. The accuser came with them. And what we see really is a recap of kind of chapter 1. And the accuser goes back to God and asks for permission actually to harm Job physically, Okay. And so we read this in verse 6. All right then, do with him as you please, the Lord said to the accuser, but spare his life. So the accuser left the Lord's presence, and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. And this is this, and Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. I want to invite you just to keep that picture in your head, okay? Remember, this is like a play. Like, just picture that. That's where he is at. That's the picture of Job in ashes, just looking for a little relief. Okay? Then we read this. And his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? She says this, curse God and die. Right? That's one of the options. Right? Obviously. But then Job says that this isn't a good one because he says this. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish uh, woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? 
And then we read this. So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Because the point of the book is on how he speaks, right? That's the point of the book. All this he said, nothing wrong. Now, I want to be clear with this. When it says there to curse God, here's what cursing means in this context. To curse God is not to complain to God. To curse God is not to accuse God. To curse God is not even to be open and super raw with God. To curse God is to cut off all communication with God and to turn away from him. That's what cursing means. Because it's clear it's not about complaining or accusing, because we'll get to this, Job does both of those two things. Okay? That cursing really is saying, I want nothing more to do with you, God, and turning away from him. And that when you turn away from him, when you sever that relationship, that even as the wife realizes there are consequences, right? Curse God and die. So that's one of the options here today. And if, sorry, if you think today, I'm going to tell you what options are the right ones, uh, welcome to Lent. I'm not going to do that today. Okay? Uh, today, what we're going to do is really explore them, right? Because it really matters for us to personally work through this. Third option, third option we have actually there is to just passively accept things from God. Job says this, should we accept only the good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? Notice with me, he has shifted from language of praise and blessing now to just like, well, we got to accept the things that happen, right? He has actually changed. This is a third option. We can bless, we can curse, we can just passively accept. Now, we know that God has not done any of this, but Job doesn't, right? The fourth option is really just one of remaining silent. So we read this, this next verse is, read this. When three of Job's friends heard the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namanath. That word there. Um, <laughs> I didn't get it in the first service either. I thought for sure I would in this one, because I had, no, 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 no. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Then listen to this. And just so we're clear, this is about the only good thing these three guys do in this book, okay? If you don't know this book, this is like, this is their high point. Let's just put it that way, okay? They said this, wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights, this is important. This is a good thing to do, actually. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. That sometimes things are so difficult, you can't actually even put it into words. That's another response. It's just to sit in silence, to just sit there without you know, being able to express anything because the, the, the wounds are so deep. So as I said, those are the first four options that the book of Job shows, really in the first two chapters. And I think they're fairly straightforward, right? Praise, curse, um, you know, passively accept, sit in silence. The next three are actually a little bit more complicated, a little bit more complex, right? And we have to understand that as we move into this next option, remember that this is like a play, right? And that Job here has been waiting and sitting for seven days. We haven't really heard him speak too much, right? We've seen him move in some ways from blessing, you know, he chooses not to curse, obviously, and then he sits passively, and now he's just sitting in silence. It's like we're just waiting for what do you really think, Job? What are the words that you really want to be sharing? You know, how will this holy man respond? Because remember, that's what this book is about. How will the holiest man on earth, according to Job, right? That's what God says. How will he respond in the midst of suffering? Okay. So I want to read to you uh, the very first verse of chapter 3. Okay, we read this. And at last, Job spoke. There's been all this tension building. At last, Job spoke. What does it say? 
It says, and he cursed the day of his birth. Or actually, you could translate it, he cursed, the day, he cursed his life. And what we're going to see in Job 3, and I invited you to read it prior to coming here, what we're going to see in Job 3 is that he's literally going to curse every single thing but God. He's going to like just open himself up and curse everything. He's going to curse the day he was born. He's going to actually, I'm going to be honest, we're going to hear this passage in just a moment. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty dark. He's going to talk about how he wished he had died before he was born. He's going to talk about how he wished he was dead now. He's going to talk about how he just wishes he was anywhere other than living. And so today, we're going to do something a little different. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but the Bible actually, the Bible is never meant to be read individually. It was actually meant to be read aloud communally, actually. And as I said, this is like a play. So what we're going to do here is we're going to hear a dramatic reading of really Job 3. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have Tim Colford come out in just a moment. He's simply going to read to you. Well, he's not going to read because he's memorized it. Okay? He's going to actually just share with you Job 3. And as I said, it's a little dark. It's pretty kind of R-rated in some ways. It's a little heavy. And I want to invite you just to pay attention not only to the words, but also what do Job's words evoke within you? We're just going to sit and we're just going to listen to Job 3. And I want to invite you, as I said, just to pay attention not only to the words, but what does this evoke in you? because this was actually meant to be heard. It's a poem that's meant to be shared. And to understand this option of how Job goes to God and complains and he curses everything but God, we really need to hear Job 3 here together. So I want to invite you just to sit and listen and to think through what does this make you feel? How do you understand it? So we're going to hear in just a second. Obliterate the day I was born. Blank out the night I was conceived. May God above forget it ever happened. Just erase it from the books. May the day I was born be buried in deep darkness, shrouded by the fog, swallowed by the night. In the night of my conception, the devil take it. Rip that day off the calendar. Delete it from the almanac. Oh, turn that night into pure nothingness, no sounds of pleasure from that night, ever. May those that are good at cursing, curse that day. Unleash the sea beast Leviathan on it. May its morning stars turn to black cinders, waiting for a daylight that never comes, never once seeing the first light of dawn. And why? Because it released me from my mother's womb into a life with so much trouble. Why didn't I die at birth? my first breath out of the womb, my last. Why were there arms to rock me and breasts for me to drink from? I could be resting in peace right now, asleep forever, feeling no pain in the company of kings and statesmen in their royal ruins or princes resplendent in their gold and silver tombs. Why wasn't I stillborn, buried with all the babies who never saw light? Were the wicked no longer trouble anyone and Bone-weary people get a long-deserved rest. Prisoners sleep undisturbed, never again to wake up to the bark of the guards. The small and the great are equals in that place, and slaves get a... They're free of their masters. Why does God bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want in the worst way to die and can't who can't imagine anything better than death, 
who count the day of their death and burial the happiest day of their life. What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense? When God blocks all the roads to meaning, instead of bread, I get groans for my supper, and then I leave the table and vomit my anguish. The worst of my fears has come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. My repose is shattered. My peace destroyed. No rest for me, ever. Death has invaded life. I want to just sit in this moment for a second. Because that's heavy, right? That's heavy. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to just pay attention to actually your own gut reactions to hearing that. Because that's Job 3. What are you feeling when you hear that? How did you react? When you heard Job 3 there, were you shocked? Were you surprised that that's in our Bibles? Did you find maybe comfort in his words? Or does it make you really uncomfortable hearing that? Do you find Job's words maybe a bit unnecessary? Maybe even a bit unholy? Maybe a bit like too much? Or does it give you like even comfort or language for what you might be going through? I want to invite you just to pay attention to your own gut reactions to the text. Because that text is challenging. That text is heavy. That text is raw and it is unfiltered. And I think we need to actually wrestle with it a little bit. Because this really is the speech that is the spark that sets off the rest of the book, actually. And the question I want to ask you and to think through is, is what we just experienced, is what we just heard, is that an appropriate way to talk to a holy God? I want you to think about that. Is it, is it holy speech in an unholy situation, or isn't it? I invite you to be thinking about that, because Job really curses literally everything. He curses everything but God. The day he was born, you know, every single thing that's going on, life, all of it. Job really doesn't hold much back in this moment. I want to invite you, what do you think about it? Now, not surprisingly, scholars tend to have different opinions on things. Okay? There are some scholars, there are some interpreters, who think that what Job just did is completely like, inappropriate. That holy people do not talk that way to God. That that is wrong to speak that to God. It is wrong to do that. That really what Job is doing there, this is what some interpreters believe, is that Job is giving an anti-creation rant. And if you are anti-creation, if you are anti-life, then you are anti-God, and that is way too much. That they think that Job kind of stepped over the line there, that that's not right. Other interpreters, though, not surprising, think that that kind of language, that kind of speech, is not only holy, but necessary that we need to be able to speak that way to God. We need to let him know exactly what we are feeling, that that isn't wrong to do whatsoever, that God is big enough to handle it. The question I want to invite you to consider is what do you think? Because here we see a new option for speaking to God in suffering. There's blessing, there's cursing, there's passive acceptance, there's silence, and here we have complaining to God and cursing everything but God. 
That's an option that Job presents. What about you? What do you think about it? Obviously, though, obviously, though, some people struggle with this, specifically Job's friends, because they're actually going to react to this pretty harshly. This is the very next kind of section. Job gives this speech. Remember, he's been sitting there silent for seven days. Imagine sitting with someone silent for seven days, and then that's what you receive, right? Like, like, whoa, right? They were not, I do not think they were ready for that at all, right? Because their reaction, maybe you had this too, their reaction was anger, actually. Their reaction was anger at Job for speaking that way. Listen to the very next verse. This is just the next verse. Then Aliphaz the Temanite replied to Job, will you be patient and let me say a word for who could keep from speaking out? Who could keep from speaking out? This is like if you ever had a conversation with someone and you see where they're getting angry at everything you say and they're like just waiting for their moment to jump in and like correct everything. That's instantly what happens here. Right? They all of a sudden, for them, there's going to be three friends in the book of Job. A fourth guy shows up unannounced, um, in case you're wondering, that happens. And these three friends actually present a very similar point of view. And their point of view is really just this, that we should limit our speech to a holy God. That we should only speak in fearful and reverent ways. That's their understanding. And this is an option that is really presented. I'll give you some examples of what they say, right? Because they want to say to Job, how dare you? How dare you speak this way? How dare you come to a holy God that way? But whenever they say that words, how dare you? There's like dramatic irony. You know, when they would say like, who are you to do this? Who is Job to do this? The most holy person on earth, correct? The perfect guy the guy of utmost righteousness and integrity. So there's all this complexity and irony going on. They say things like this, like, oh my gosh, and with friends like this, who needs enemies, okay? This is what we're gonna see, right? Bildad uh, says this, how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Can you imagine a friend saying that to you while you're sitting in ashes, right? That's where these guys are at. Or listen, the next one gets worse, okay? Shouldn't, uh, this is Zohar, shouldn't someone answer this torrent of words? Is a person proved innocent just by a lot of talking? Right? He thinks all of Job's speech is just useless torrent of words. Or this, uh, should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? He wants to shame Job for him speaking too strongly to God. Right? That's what he wants to do. Or listen to this, and Eliphaz says this, a wise man wouldn't answer such empty talk. That's what he says. You are nothing but a windbag. These are the friends who came to console Job, right? right? Listen to what they're saying to him. Because for them, their perspective, their perspective is, is we should limit our speech. We should be very careful around a holy and righteous God, and we shouldn't really speak like this. He actually says this, literally. Have you no fear of God, no reverence for him? He says, the wise don't engage in empty chatter. What good are such words? Your sins are telling your mouth what to say. Your words are based on clever deception. Your own mouth condemns you, not I. Your own lips testify against you. And that what we have here, actually for the rest of Job, is a series of speeches from these three friends and the fourth guy who shows up. And kind of in each of them, Job responds. Okay, Job responds. Eliphaz speaks in chapters 4 and 5. And then Job responds in chapters 6 and 7. Bildad speaks in chapter 8, and then Job responds in chapters 9 and 10. Zohar, Zophar, uh, chapter 11, with Job then in verses 12 to 14. And basically, 
kind of the just or the thrust of their um, position is just this, that they seek to defend God and to justify Job's suffering, that they have the idea that our world works according to essentially like karma, that if you've done something wrong, you must deserve it. That's their idea. So they seek to defend God and to justify Job's suffering. That basically what they think is that since we are insignificant creatures, we should not speak like this to God. Richard Middleton, whose book I really appreciate on all of this and has been really helpful for this, he says this, summarizing the three friends. He says, the friends all accept some version of a causal relationship between sin and suffering. All affirm that God is always in the right, no matter what happens and all have the view of the human person as relatively insignificant in God's sight. They think that Job is insignificant and that Job or someone is the cause. They make this really clear. I'll read you some of the other verses. I want to encourage you actually to read the book of Job. I'm going to challenge you that with the end. Eliphaz says things like this. He says, but consider the joy of those corrected by God. Consider the joy of those corrected by God. What a ridiculous statement. And I mean that in the sense Look at who he's saying that to. He's saying it to Job in the midst of ashes and pottery, and he says to him, you should have joy, right? You should have joy, but consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. This is his perspective. This is his offering, right? He's saying this is an option, right? Or Bildad says this, and this is, again, I love a lot of patience for statements like this, but they deserve to be worked through and understood. He says this, your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. That's what Bildad says to his friend, Job. Right? Or Zophar is also equally as difficult. He says this, You claim my beliefs are pure, and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God would speak, if only he would tell you what he thinks, if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve to the man sitting in ashes with broken pottery. Right? This is an option. This is. Right? That what we see here from these three friends is essentially this, that in suffering, what you should do is defend God and then justify the suffering based on sin. That's their perspective. Right? And then lastly, we have another perspective of Job. We've seen the blessing. We've seen cursing. We've seen passively accepting. We've seen silence. We've seen actually Job going to God and complaining to him and cursing everything. And then the friends react and defend God and justify suffering. The last one is, is we actually see Job shift from complaining to God to directly accusing God, to actually accusing him and saying, actually, I don't think you know what you're doing. Actually, I think this is unjust. Actually, I want you to come down and I want to argue this out with you. We see him accusing God that this is an option in suffering. Okay? I'll give you a few examples. Job 7, 18 to 20, we read this. Why won't you leave me alone, God? at least long enough for me to swallow. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, a watcher of all humanity? Why make me your target? Am I a burden to you? Why not just forgive my sin and take away my guilt? For soon I will lie down in the dust and die. When you look for me, I will be gone. Or in chapters 10, verses 1 to 2, we read this. I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. Isn't that a verse, Right? Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge that you are bringing against me. He's actually asking kind of to like argue with God as if he's in a law court, right? Tell me the charge. Let me argue this out with you. Let me work this out because I think I'm innocent. That's what Job is saying there, 
right? Or the last one I'll give you, just as an example, is 13 verse 3. As for me, see, Job is now shifted to speaking directly to God. I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. He has moved from complaining to God to directly accusing God of mismanagement, really. Of saying, if you're in charge of this universe, I don't think you're doing a very good job. That's what he's saying. I don't think you're doing a very good job. The question is, the question is, is this holy or is this right? That's what I want to invite you to think through. That what the book of Job does is it gives to us at least seven different ways of talking to God in difficulty. Okay? The book of Job does not approve of every single one of them. right? Not every single one of them is holy, but it does actually offer them for our discernment, for our wrestling, for our consideration. Right? It's that we learn that you can bless God, curse God, passively accept things from God, stay silent and weep. You can complain to God and curse the suffering. You can defend God and justify the suffering. You can protest, accuse, and demand justice from God as well. The question I want to invite you to consider today is what is the right way to speak to God? And as I said today, I'm not going to share with you what I think. I will in a few weeks, but today I want to invite you to wrestle with this. Because whether you realize this or not, do you know what kind of genre the book of Job is actually set in in the Bible in the larger genres? It's a wisdom book. Wisdom books are meant to be sat with and wrestled with. They aren't meant to just be something somebody tells you about. They're actually meant to be worked through. That part of the path of discipleship is actually sitting and wrestling with some texts. So today, I want to invite you to just ask that question of what do you think the right way to speak to God is? Because now we have some more categories to actually think through. Blessing, cursing, right? Silence, passively accepting, complaining and cursing, you know, defending or accusing. What is the right way that you think we should speak to God? And so today, today, what is my main point today? My main point today is the exact same one as last week, actually, okay? My main point of today is actually just the same question. What is the right way to speak to God in suffering, disaster, or calamity? And as I said, now I think we have some more categories to be wrestling through. Is it right to complain and accuse God? Is it right to curse God? Is it right to defend God in suffering? Is it right to speak at all? I want to invite you to think this through. Because as Suzanne read, and as she shared really beautifully, the truth is, is that we will face hardship in this life. So when we do, what is the right way to respond? That's what I'm inviting you to put some work in, you know, this week. Actually sit with this question. And if, if when I say what is the right way to speak to God in suffering, disaster, and calamity, if you think that this is like an easy question, I want to suggest to you it's much more problematic than you might think. Okay? I want to suggest to you it's not all that easy. And in fact, if you think it's easy, let me just suggest this to you. The people who think this question is easily answered is Job's friends, and they don't turn out great in the end of the book. Okay? So I think you should actually wrestle with this. Like To give you an example of what this might mean, if Job's friends are, are, are wrong in how they speak to God, and how they defend God in this, if they're wrong, this should shape not only our apologetics, but also our pastoral care, right? This should actually shape how we interact with people. What this should mean, if Job's friends are wrong, what this should mean is that we should be very, very, very wary of ever policing someone else's story, right? This has real-life practical implications. It really does, if we take this as actually directive for our lives. Or to give you another example, if what Job did in Job 3 is wholly inappropriate, 
kind of using that really raw, you know, unfiltered language, then what that means, then what that means is that we need to make space for that in our relationships, in our marriages, in our home churches. Dare we even say even in our services for that kind of stuff? That's what that would mean. And I don't know if we'd all be super comfortable with that. Just meaning that Job literally says in verse 8 that he wants to hire the best professional cursors and swearers to swear so deeply that it raises a sea monster. Like, I, I don't know if we'd all be good with that next Sunday. You, you, you're not following, right? I think this is more of a complex question than we might realize. And I know we sometimes don't always love when we don't answer things and there's tension, but like, welcome to Lent and welcome to discipleship, actually. Right? We need to sit with this. We need to sit with this. So if it's not okay to curse God, what do we do when people do that? What do we do if that's our kids or family members or friends? How do we relate to them? When do we know when it's right to stay silent and when it's not? There is a lot of complexity in this book. And today I'm not going to just kind of resolve all of that. Today what I want to do is invite you to think that through. Of those seven categories, which ones do you feel are appropriate? Which ones do you not feel are appropriate? I actually want you to pay attention also to your own life experience. When you've been in a season of difficulty, which kind of forms of language did you use? Which ones didn't? Which ones kind of resonate with you? Which ones don't? I want to invite you to simply discern this week, to sit and to wrestle with this question of what is the right way to speak to God in suffering, disaster, or calamity. And to help with that, I want to give you a challenge. Okay? I want to give you a challenge to not only wrestle with this question, here's my challenge. Okay? I want to invite you to read the rest of the book of Job. Okay? I know you kind of saw this coming because we need to actually sit with the text. I want to invite you to read the rest of the book of Job. We've already read Job's 1 and 3, so you've got at least two chapters done, okay, if you've attended the services this week and last week. I want to invite you to read that. And we're going to give you some time to do that, actually, because next week we're going to pivot a little bit, and we're going to talk about how do you then help people who are in deep suffering. The best thing those friends do is to sit in silence with Job. We're going to talk practically about how do you help and care people with suffering. In two weeks then, we're going to have a really great guest speaker. His name is Adrian Jacobs. He's an indigenous theologian. And he's going to come and share some of his perspectives on the book of Job. And then in weeks five and six, I'm going to pick it up with really exploring God's speeches in Job, uh, the end of Job. So really, you have three weeks to kind of read the book of Job. Okay? It's like 10 or 12 chapters a week. I know it's a considerable amount, but I do want to invite you for Lent to sit with this. So today, what is my main point? It's just that question. Of what is the right way to speak to God in suffering, disaster, and calamity? And then my challenge is, would you think through that question? Would you sit with it? And would you read the book of Job? Because it's worthwhile to be read so that we might actually be shaped by it. Because that's what Lent is all about. Sitting, wrestling, being with God, and letting him direct our lives and our conversation and the ways we think. Because remember at the very beginning, I said that language is formational. That's what this is inviting us to do, to pay attention to that. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I ask. I ask for all of us, wherever we might be at. Whether today we are feeling like Job or we are feeling, you know, light and good and things are well, I pray, God, will we take time to sit with you and to really sit with this question and to wrestle it through. I pray, God, would you continue to speak to us? I pray, God, if we are in a space like Job, might we have, you know, not only your support, but the true support of family and friends. Would you continue, God, to be with us and to guide us? And I pray this week as we sit with this question, would we sit with your text? Would we hear your voice through it? But we also just hear your voice speaking to us as we wrestle and as we think and as we reflect. And I pray, would you guide us in all of this? And I pray this all in the wonderful name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.
So to close today, we're going to close exactly the same way as we did last week. That for every week in Lent, what I've invited you to do is to be here and for church so that we can actually pray the prayer of confession together, which we're going to do in just a moment. To actually give up something um, for Lent and then to actually be praying Chronicles 714 every single day. So today I want to invite you to stand if you are able as we pray the prayer of confession here together to close our services uh, with one another here today. So we read this, or better put, we pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And then as always, if you have any need whatsoever, there are people in our prayer room off to my left to be more than willing to meet with you, to pray with you. Next week, we're going to be practical, talking about caring for people in suffering. Other than that, um, yeah, have a great rest of your week, and may you see and sense God as you wrestle with all of this. Grace and peace, everyone. Bye-bye.